<laughs> Lynn, I'm so glad you could make it. Um, we're here to talk about your song and we're gonna talk about another one of yours later, actually, if you wanna stick around. Um, oh my God, no, he has to. <laughs> <laughs> I got two songs, how can I not stay for both of them? <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 2021 version of Ultimate Musical Theater Brackets. This year, it's all about I Want Songs. My name is Alex Schneidman. All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome to another thrilling week of the Ultimate Musical Theater Brackets. I want song musical theater brackets uh, ultimate thing that we do. Uh, um, this week is incredibly exciting. We have our final eight songs and two new judges with us to um, weed through them. Uh, this week was a very exciting week of votes. We got more votes than we ever have in the podcast and the history of the podcast. Uh, part of that was owed to the fact that I put some of these votes on Instagram, um, but that also boosted the website votes, and we got more website votes this round than uh, we have any round this year so far. Um, joining us this week, we have two, uh, well, we have one great guest and one uh, guest. Um, oh my God. Phoebe, uh, our great guest. Uh, what's up? How you doing? What gives you the right to be a judge here on the Ultimate Musical Theater Brackets? I want songs. Oh man. Hi, I am Phoebe Gonzalez. And what gives me the right is the same, absolutely the same as what everyone has given so far, which is I went to Northwestern. I studied acting and uh, musical theater. I have been in musicals professionally, um, although not for a little bit. I think I'm much more of an actor who sings than a strict musical theater performer at this point. But I do think the thing, because I've been thinking about this a lot, I love the accusatory tone of this question. The thing that gives me a unique right or that is a unique perspective of mine is that my history with musical theater is one just like riddled with heartbreak and disappointment even though I love it and I love aspects of it. And I have no doubt we'll get into all the reasons why in like five seconds. And uh, Mr. John Schneidman, our other guest. Hi, I am the other guest. Uh, <laughs> what, what gives me the right to make judgments? Well, nobody, and I mean nobody in the world, control the hosts and executive producer of this podcast quite like me. So we know that at a certain point over the years of this thing, I had to make an appearance. Um, I have a complicated relationship with musical theater in the sense that it's how I make my living and also I hate it. Um, and so I am extremely excited to have a conversation about the elite eight that your voting block of psychopaths and girls with nodes have chosen for us. Oh, oh. Um, John. John did preempt uh, his time on this podcast saying that he would be coming for the throats of the listeners of this podcast, uh, which is fine. your literal throats. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and it seems he's also coming for their ears as the volume <laughs> is maxing out every time he speaks. Oh yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. We're putting up threes from the logo today, baby. I Let's go. <laughs> oh, and um, our returning guest, 
uh, whom I love is Mariah. Uh, Say hi, Mariah. I had this whole theme planned. You you were going to say, Mariah, say hi to the guests. And I was going to say, good morning, Baltimore. And I was going to say it so fast. And it was going to seem like it was fun and witty. And I didn't even plan it. And then you forgot me. Uh, well, sounds like a cold open, doesn't it? (laughs) All right. We're going to get right down to it. We're starting off. We're going to the top left of the bracket. We've got the Wizard and I from Wicked up against Out There from the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, who wants to go first? John, let's hear it. I can't believe this is the Disney song that's made it this far. This song is terrible. And this song is, is better the, you want to know where this song is better? In the South Park movie. Everybody, stop this podcast quickly. Go to YouTube and listen to the song Up There from South Park, which is a parody of this song. And my friends, that song owns. And this song, I listened to it three times today in preparation for this podcast. And I can't sing it for you. Why? Because the melody is nameless, faceless. It slips into the ether like air. Um, <laughs> anyone else? Wow, John, you can't, I'm glad you came in swinging because the thing I was going to say was I think John should go first because this is the one that I feel the least strongly about and could be swayed one way or the other. I apparently uniquely am not a huge uh, Wicked fan. Uh, Listen, I waited in line all day to see Adina Menzel's final performance. So I was, but over time, Wicked has really soured for me, because this was brought up, I think, on the last episode or the episode before, how clever it is. I think that it is actually clever in excess to the point that, like, we spend the whole show looking for the fun bits about, like, the Wizard of Oz. We we have, you know, wow, was she born in a barn? And we have the first time she Wicked Witch laughs. And we have, I'd be so happy I could melt, which means nothing. I hate that line with all my being. Okay, yeah. see, good, good. I'm glad we agree on that. Um, but I do, and I also trace, and I'm sure I'm, I should just like build a soapbox because I'm gonna be on it the entire episode about this. I feel like we can trace um, the beginning of contemporary musical theater being written for the almost strict purpose of like being vocally impressive over anything else to Wicked. I think that like Wicked marked a turn of actually what we value most specifically in female performers is an ability to squelt in a way that will ultimately hurt them a lot. More than tell a story, more than perhaps act. So (laughs) I hold that against Wicked, um, even though perhaps a musical theater historian might be like, you're totally wrong. This is the obscure musical that began that trend. Um, and plenty of people I'm sure would disagree that that is even a trend that we need to do away with, but I stand firmly in that belief. Similarly to you, Phoebe, I, the criticisms I have about The Wizard and I are, are the same way I felt last week in that I feel like a lot of the choices in the music and in the lyrics are not necessarily intentional for the character, they're intentional for the idea of we're watching a show that is a story within a story. And it's not being done in a way that is like uh, purposeful beyond um, like wit, which really bothers me. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I think when you, I think this is a, a good song. The more I listen to it, the less I feel like it is a great song because the things that I discover about it are 
oh, these are these callbacks to the story. These are these things that are ironic later, but they're done in these ways. Like the reason I hate, I'm so happy I could melt is because (laughs) when have any of us ever said that, right? Whereas the cleverest way to do that is figure out what is that phrase that we say that is related to her demise in some kind of clever way, right? No one has ever said that in like the absurd degree, ver degree, like, and I, I, I bought Ali's thing a little bit last week of like some of the wording. And I think some of the, the larger group numbers has to do with like the quirkiness of Oz, but sometimes it really like runs away from them, especially when it's like the solo song. And like, this is just supposed to be her singing about her dream. And my biggest issue with Wicked is Wicked is really about being Black, but being palatable for white people. We that, That's another podcast. But I'll <laughs> gladly talk about that. Somebody please text me if you're interested in that. Mariah, I'm like texting <laughs> you right now because fantasy and sci-fi on the whole is a genre white people love to make about like oppressed experiences that they have no ownership of. So I'm right there with you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, I feel differently than the two of you in that, In this matchup, I'm in favor of out there. And here's why. Despite John's passionate (laughs) stance that there is no melody, um, I actually think the melody of out there is very beautiful. And like, I I have not really been vying for the Disney songs uh, in these rounds. Like the only one I liked as much sort of was like, I just can't wait to be king. And it just wasn't its time, wasn't its bracket. But there's this there's this really beautiful moment when he starts singing where like John would be able to actually say the musical phenomenon that is happening in this, but he he sings that little like the da 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 and as he starts singing about what he is envisioning, it becomes um it sounds a little minor when it starts and then it becomes a little bit more like major and it becomes like positive. And, and as he starts singing, the melody expands, right? And it's like this bigger and bigger and bigger dream. And when you're thinking about he's stuck in this tower on the Ile de la Cité that is also this isolated part of Paris. Yes, I studied French. Shout college. out to your French. That was awesome. <laughs> I wasn't ready for Shout that. Shout out to my French. <laughs> I wasn't ready. Um, the, the, the song and the melody itself and the, his vocal range becomes larger and larger and larger. And it, it, there are a lot of very subtle intentional choices that I think are really beautiful about it. And like something I was thinking about when I was listening to these rounds of songs is that something that's important for me that doesn't have to be important for everybody is like, how does this song put me on the team of the protagonist, right? And like, I think that this song does it a lot for, does it more for me than Wizard and I does because there's just little parts in it that take me out. Whereas like Out There is a song that could be so sad, but is so beautiful and so full of gratitude. Yes, Phoebe? I feel like that got me thinking. I I do feel like just the way Wizard and I is structured, it is vocally and um, from like a composer spec- perspective, very impressive. And I wonder if actually it relies on that for getting you on Alphabet's team much more than like a, a journey. Also, John, you can't lit- I, you can't literally mean there's not a melody. You certainly know the melody, John. Of, of out there? Yes. Oh, of course I know the melody. I didn't say there was literally no melody. I just meant it sucked. <laughs> 
Roll back the tape! Because the melody is nameless, faceless. It slips into the ether like air. He literally said there was no melody. I can't uh, well, wait to I just, I meant no memorable melody. I, I, we're, we're parsing my words. I didn't realize we are going to be legalistic on this podcast. <laughs> I think what I've learned this, in, in listening to this entire season, honestly, is that the, the kind of I want songs that I am particularly drawn to are the ones that are just like bursting with longing and, and often a longing that is not, that is a little abstracted, that is not quite traceable. And I mm-hmm. think we have a lot of, like a surplus of that in Out There. And that for me is very moving and very exciting. I, I think what we're pointing at, which is what's true about Wicked um, and which is true about a lot of m- modern hit musicals, uh, is that the characters are empty cups into which any audience member could fill whatever they want. Like Wicked is definitely the first of a modern type of hit musical um and i like the thing about this song is it just rocks i think we ought to move to votes okay um, let's move to votes brian out there phoebe uh, um i just know i'm gonna be the tiebreaker here so i'm very stressed should, should yeah. i go first you, I, i'm gonna okay. do my impression of this riff i saw on youtube oh my god wizard and I. thank you thank you thank you yeah i've watched send that john, clip john Scheidman.com. thank you i've watched the compilation videos too john i love them but just in looking at the two lyrics the two i have the lyrics lined up right next to me right next yes. to me right next to each other that's english yes. And they are both speaking to being outsiders and they are both speaking to longing. And I think for me, out there gets me to care more. So it's gonna be out there for me. Okay. Um. (laughs) Oh God, what happened? (laughs) Oh God, that's gonna be it. (laughs) That's gonna be the difference. So, um, the Wizard and I uh, got a little bit less than 57% of the public vote. Uh, out there got uh, a little bit more than 43. Uh, what that means, though, is if you multiply those numbers by 0.7 to get what is the cumulative tally of the public vote, um, you get, for the Wizard and I, 39.81 and for out there, 30.19. But if you factor in the 30% that constitutes the panelist vote, 10% of each of you, and you add 20 to 30.19, you get 50.19, which pushes out there past the Wizard and I, 50.19, to 49.81. Hell yeah, dude. The people- Hell yeah, dude. The people are gonna be furious. The people? <laughs> this is like the time Sinjaya from American Idol kept- <laughs> So if the people were so furious, two more of them could have voted for the Wizard and I, and we wouldn't have had this problem. 
All right. Next up, we've got What You Want from Legally Blonde up against I Hope I Get It from A Chorus Line. Even though I think Legally Blonde is an absolutely incredible adaptation, and I'm really glad that I rewatched the whole thing on YouTube, it's free this week in prep. The way we get to look at both a community's single yearning and each individual's flavor of that yearning is a huge achievement. And I hope I get it. And I think that just in listening to it or looking at the lyrics, you might not realize that that's what's happening. But in watching it in performance and in looking at the names of the people who have little solos, you see that it's actually a very smart introduction. It lays a really solid groundwork. The first soloist, and this is written into the play, the first soloist that I really need this job is actually has a name. Her name is Trisha. And she is our first in to what it's like to be a, a person and not a, not a group of people in this audition room with this absolutely psychotic director, by the way. And she is cut first. Every time, in every version of the show, that person who gets this beautiful, heartfelt solo about how desperate she is for work is cut. It is a Game of Thrones-style introduction to how miserable of, a of an experience watching this is going to be. And you get Maggie asking what's coming next. You get a little exchange that is written into like where it comes in musically, but not sung between the director and Cassie. You are introduced to Richie who is told to please stay in formation. You are introduced to Paul lastly, and I would argue most importantly, because Paul is like the beating heart of the show. Paul is the one who has the long, incredible monologue towards the end of, I think the second act about performing dance in drag and being surprised by his parents seeing him and still feeling love from his father. And I think that without Paul's storyline, chorus line is, it will just, it's, it matters less. And that Paul is the one who sings the, who am I anyway, that he's the one who gets that feels really, really important and like a really solid setup for who to pay attention to and who to invest in. In some of the way this pod has talked about the song it is not recognized the way it is zooming in on individuals and then zooming back out. And I wanted to point out, point out how successful it is. I love what, the, what you want, but it's gonna be, God, I hope I get it for me. I listened to these both like a few times and tried to like really listen to both, partly because like, there's so much else happening when you are really watching this song than you really take in when you're just listening to a recording. Um, like something I realized, you know, that we haven't really talked about for I Hope I Get It is like, we are watching all of these dance sequences during it, which one are just like fucking exhausting. Every time I watch a chorus line, I'm just sad that people had to do this multiple times at rehearsal. <laughs> but also like, there is this, very big contrast between the people who they are when they are auditioning and dancing and then the people they are when they are singing these lyrics, right? They're like, they're on opposite sides of the spectrum. And the, something I noticed sort of like in, in the songs that are left, this song really digs into like the anguish and desperation that, that sometimes your ambition starts with. 
um, and the exhaustion too of that. And that like, I think, you know, I try to think all the time of like, theater is only successful as like, how effective it can be for someone who has never seen theater before and like doesn't care because I think sometimes we get into choices and things and, and ideas about canon that really don't have to do with how effective the art form is. And like, I think something that, that we have been taking for granted when we've been talking about I Hope I Get It is that like the idea of like, and the dramatization of I'm auditioning for my dream is not really what they use and talk about in this song, which they could have, right? Like the, the, like the, the ballady lighter parts of the song of the, I hope I need this job, all those things are, are very like nerve wracking and very scary and start off the quest in a very desperate place, um, which is very different. And, but the thing, the thing that I'm feeling kind of like, back and forth about because I do love what you want but I'm not like solidly what you want in this one is that I'm also trying not to attribute because I'm thinking about like how effective this is when you're somebody who's just watching the beginning of the show and just this song and it's helping you understand the story is like what are things I'm attributing to this song that are actually just the show itself but just to speak I know I've been speaking for a long time but then I'll never speak again for (laughs) this one I have been thinking about what you want. And like, I keep talking about the adaptation because I think that is this song's like, <laughs> I almost said core competency because we've been watching so much Shark Tank. It's the strongest yes. um, <laughs> skill is the adaptation because this is also something that's missing from the movie in what you want, right? She like has the, the nerd girl who helps her study and then she has to convince her parents and then it's spring break. And then she has to convince the, the guys at Harvard that she like bursts through the office in and none of these are realistic. But also what this does is that like this song proves to us that she's not just like this wild girl with a dream. She's somebody who has the inherent skills of a lawyer. She is persuading all of the people in her life that she can do this and here are the reasons why. And she actually can be a very convincing, come up with a very convincing arguments. I think that what you want shows that to you and then also shows you the bigger reason why she wants it and then also gets you on her team. I think I feel honestly like split because I think that that's something that that's that is a harder task than I think some of the other songs have to do and I think we don't like notice that when we watch it. I know I've talked for literally like seven minutes. I will not talk again, but I just wanted to say all of those things because I wrote them down in my brain. Yeah. I don't think they care. I think I'm the one who cares. Just got to sit on garage band for 30 minutes figuring out what I'm going to do with that. John, do you have anything? To, uh, yeah. John, you got anything? Yeah, no, I'm normally, uh, I normally have a bias against uh, theater about theater, um, basically because uh, nobody else cares about us as much as we care about ourselves. Um, and I think our insistence <laughs> on continuing to produce works about ourselves um, shows a disconnect with our audience. Chorus Line, I think, is different um, because it's not actually about art, it's about work. Um, and it's about like trying to get something that is just outside your reach. And it could be about fucking coal miners. Um, and it could still, in a lot of ways, be the same show. I think Chorus Line gets to the human element of it in a lot of ways. And this song 
for me, this song really sets that tone. It's not about like, I love dancing and I love performing for the people. Um, in New York City, um, it's about like, what do I need to do to get this person to hire me so I get a paycheck and so I don't have to retire um, and so I don't have to teach or um, go into accounting. It's shout out to every uh, musical theater person who can't dance, who had to do that combination at one point. Um, and <laughs> that song in their nightmares. Shout out to the Northwestern Dance Department. I'm sorry I fed that up at every turn. All right. I, oh, yes. I have a couple of, it, thank you, Mariah, for, it's very helpful for me to think about what you want as proof of L's argument, argumentative abilities as her ability to mount an argument. Um, so thank you for making that point. I was talking about this with my dear friend, Sarah Cartwright, Chicago's favorite uh, person to cast as a young orphan boy. <laughs> and she said to me something that I've been thinking about for like a week, which is what you want is not an I want song, it's a you want song because it still centers like Warner more than anything, which is a thing that I think can be said about a lot of I want songs for women throughout the entire musical theater canon, which is like, I want this thing, but this thing is just a means towards like winning the guy. And men have that too. Like Harold Hill has a song about that, but that does dampen it a little for me. And also I really, y'all talked about it last episode. I, I can't with the Jamaican be crazy part. I, I <laughs> just, just despise it. It's, it's, it's unforgivable. <laughs> And, and actually, even more than that, the joke that I really don't like is the ethnic movement joke because it is a movement that only works in the absence of black and brown bodies. Because it is funny because it shows a guy being like out of touch by calling a bunch of white people and like one black girl, <laughs> like ethnic movers because they're like dancing and like occasionally gyrating their hips. It is like actually concerning and maybe something that makes a lot of people uncomfortable if there are a bunch of actors of color singing and dancing. Yeah. Cause then it's like, ooh, is this guy a racist? And I think any joke that requires you not to have a diverse cast is a bad one. All right, friends, here we go. Let's vote. Mariah, what do you got? Well, Legally Blonde stands, so <laughs> I'm going to vote for what you want. Wow. Because I uh, think I'm going to have to say goodbye to her, so I just want to let her know how I feel. <laughs> Phoebe? I hope I get it. And John? How many boys, how many girls, how many people does he need? God, I hope I got it. Anyway, uh, I hope I get it. Got nearly two-thirds of the public vote. Um, and only really needed one of you to toss it over the, uh, the winning line, the, the, the finish line, I guess is what people call it. Um, so cumulatively, um, I hope I get it, uh, it finishes with two thirds of the vote and we'll meet out there in the next round. Um, I'm really excited that one of the opening numbers has gone this got far. to the final four. Yeah. Hello, we are not available now. Please leave your name and phone number after the beep. We will return your call. From each 
Paddle, leaf, and sepal, watch it pep up all the people. Every proud and loving papa starts to gather dry and chop us. So don't be a party pooper, it's the perfect pepper upper. Then there's chili every day for breakfast, lunch, and snack, and supper. Here in Payson, Arizona, could things be more sublime? A perfect world, a perfect life, a perfect time. All right, next up is... Uh, what for the public has been the most contentious of of the th- four matchups? That really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, many many people have uh, been racked by this one, and the public votes certainly reflect that. As uh, my shot received one single more vote than Waiting for Life did, uh, and finished with fifty point two percent of the public vote. Oh my God. Um, so, um, <gasps> we've got my shot from Hamilton and waiting for life from once on this Island. Um, Phoebe, was that a little, was that, you got something? I, I guess I'm actually not surprised because I thought I felt really strongly about this like a week ago when the matchup came out. I was like, well, obviously it's my shot. And it's so unfortunate that this wonderful song, Waiting for Life, has been put up against my shot because it doesn't stand a chance. Poor sweet Angel Haley, my girl, performing, you know, to the heavens. But the more that I listen to them in direct comparison to one another, the more, like, absolutely agonizing it is. Because Waiting for Life is quintessential I want song. It is both specific, just like my, I think Michael pointed out in a, in a, like a write-in, uh, previously it it goes from like specific a stranger in white to carry me away from here to to a more abstracted call to adventure gods you spared my life show me why and I also think waiting for life is such a gift and John maybe you're gonna say then why didn't you vote for wizard and I I think waiting for life is such a gift for a specific type of performer which is one who just knows how to like be effervescent and shine. It's not even about like vocal ability, although Haley's voice is very unique in a way that is very exciting for me to listen to. T-Moon is so full of hope and love and appreciation for the world around her that when you get a, a really stellar performer in there who can smile and like light up an entire space, it is transcendent. I. I actually texted my my mother about this this morning because I was so stressed about making this choice. Can I read you what she said? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh my and God. I, Susan Sullivan is a fucking queen. She's She used to be an actor. She's very gifted. I, I love her. My first and best acting coach. Just a quick shout out to mom. Um, here's what she said. And this is after her being like, I have to go. I'm working. <laughs> she texted. Okay, couldn't resist going to YouTube and watching both. OMG, Haley Kilgore. And that key change? I love my shot and the way it builds with the ensemble. But I care much more about T-Moon than I do about Alexander Hamilton. Side note, I agree. Then my mom continues, this is hard, all caps. I think the percussive rhythm and build of my shot has a visceral impact, but the sweeping melody of Waiting for Life is transcendent. If the deciding factor of what makes a great I want song is how successful it is at making you root for the character and really hope they get what they want, I think I have to go with Waiting for Life. 
Can you imagine if we texted our mother about this, John? <laughs> what? What song? <laughs> you want me to watch what? <laughs> this is nice. How, can we buy tickets? <laughs> Mom, <laughs> Mom, it hasn't been on Broadway in five years. Well, nothing's been on Broadway in uh, nearly 13 months. So, <laughs> I just want to see a show. I just want to <laughs> see a show. <laughs> I think I... I also felt very, very similar to Phoebe where I really thought that the public would not be able to give us the choice. And so like, I didn't think about it a ton, but then when I listened to them back and forth, I was like, Oh my God, I love waiting for life so much. Um, I, I and I think the job that it does is it, these two songs are very interesting because they're in like the category I have made for myself of like chosen one songs where like in both of these stories, we are framing this person like as, a special protagonist who has a special future that we don't know yet. And here is their moment to sort of say why they are special and why they should get what they want. And I, and I think they do the two jobs very differently because they're two very different types of characters. And like the thing I appreciate so much about Waiting for Life is that like when you, I like the LaShawn's version, I like the Haley version too, but like the original, okay. You can like hear the thing Phoebe was saying, you can hear the smile in the voice, like when it is being sung. But I like that it starts off very like small and sweet and then becomes this big sweeping call to the gods. And like, it is like full of such hope. A thing I hate about like chosen one type stories is that we don't get the moment to structure why that person's potential is valuable outside of their circumstances. And I think that like this song does a very good job of that. And like as a storytelling structure adds to that very well. The thing I will say about my shot though, because I, and I don't know if I have like gone over the edge for either of these yet, is that I think my shot does it in a different way where it shows you that like Hamilton's uh, drive really can change the people around him and that his potential is in his ambition itself because it's so strong and also sometimes so reckless that it makes anybody think that their crazy dreams can happen to like the whole sequence with the shots right and then these all become really important characters and again like to take this Ron Chernow book and like give it all of this structure and stakes and significance that is both sweeping but easy to understand as a viewer is so hard. And something I really appreciate about this song is like, I don't actually know a lot about how Lin-Manuel Miranda wrote this or like what he wrote first. But when I listen to my shot, I'm like, this had to be the song or like the lyrics or the the hook that gave him this idea for the rest of the show because the genre the genre I don't know necessarily if I would always call what he's doing rap but the genre of rap general that he's using for this and the way that he's telling the story is so quintessentially American right there's this idea that there's somebody else above you 
control, like who thinks they are in control of your circumstances and all you have is your scrappiness and some crazy dream, you are not going to get through anything without that, right? And like without the friends you never had and blah, 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 blah. And that fits in the genre of like how we character, how we have characterized rap and use that as a storytelling tool for ourselves so well. And I think this song, like for people who I think there's like some whitewashy things we do about him, we do with Hamilton. But the thing I really like about this song is I think for people who aren't on board to understand why this is an American story about American ambition, the way that this song is done using the genre as a tool convinces them. John? Yes, well, I actually, um, I have a special guest here uh, Mm -hmm. that would like to help (laughs) us discuss the song. Uh, Come on in, come on in, come in, come on in. Hey, yo, it's me, here for the musical theater bracket. The competition's stiff, but I think I can hack it. We're here in the Elite Eight. I'm feeling pretty great. At least he knows he sounds like it. At least he knows, you know? I knew he was going to do this. All of us have our head in our hands. I just want the listeners to know that we all simultaneously placed our head into our hands. Oh, my God. And look, I know it's ephemera. I didn't think I'd have the time either. But the most dangerous space in the world is the six feet between me and the nearest camera. Oh, um, John, you wrote that. <laughs> you took time out of your busy life to compose that. So you I don't do know this. what you're talking about. Oh. I'm going up the dome. I'm happy to be here in John's home. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> I know I have stuff to I, say to you. I, I, say... I have stuff to say to you. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. You have stuff that to right. say. <laughs> yeah, if you have stuff to say, I feel like you should have said it a while ago. All right, John, give me, give me 30 seconds. What do you got? It's funny because, like, it's so clear that the voters are not representative of. Um, the general public, because otherwise my shot would have won 99 to one. Like, like clearly your voters are people who um, uh, take it musical theater very seriously. Waiting for Life is such a gorgeous song. And it's like, it, it's hard because I think like, in, in the way that like, this is actually a really fun counter to Out There and Wizard and I. Because like, like you said, Waiting for Life I think like the the melody's fantastic. Like it's so well written. It's also technically not as impressive as my shot. Just like the amount of words he sticks into eight seconds in my shot is really impressive. Um, but waiting for life is such a visceral as an experience. My shot, I think it took him like a year to write and I think it shows the visceral experience doesn't come to the end, till the end. Um, I came into this thinking my, sh- I also thought my shot was gonna be a runaway. And then when it was close, I felt the need to um, really rethink this. I think the thing I'm really struggling with too is that it also has, my shot has such a good, well, isn't it factor yeah. to call back to Rosie Joe. I think that is such a brilliant way to look at I Want Songs in that, that I imagine death so much it feels more like a memory is 
so exciting and so um, like surprising and moving. I think also on principle, I'm struggling because both of these shows take place in a period of or just after colonization. And whereas Once on this Island, like makes that an essential part of the story with the tale of the bosoms, Lynn and, and his team don't really choose to engage with that in a meaningful way beyond peopling the stage with bodies of color, which I've also come to like really, really struggle with the further I've gotten from when I first saw it when it came out. The, the last thing I'll say, and a, a thing that has really been moving me towards waiting for life over the, over the last morning while I've been incredibly stressed about making this decision is that it also bears immediately, uh, like immediate plot ramifications in a way that my shot does not, which I don't think is required to make a, make a good I want song, but I think it's exciting in that the minute this song is over, the gods are like, this bitch, like, what is she talking about? And the entire rest of the play like kicks into high gear. Within 10 minutes of this song, she has made a pact with the God of death. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it doesn't get much more immediate and intense than that. All right. I would like us to vote. What do uh, you got? Wait, John, what's up? I, I disagree with that because I think like, Ham like the way Hamilton's constructed, it's, it's like weirdly, like the story of the show is not really the plot of the show, if that makes sense. Like Hamilton is about this, the show is about this guy, like it's really about ambition. All right, I would like us to move to votes. Mariah. I think I'm actually going to vote for Waiting for Life because I'm more interested in talking about the other Lin-Manuel Miranda song in the final four. Phoebe, what do you got? I'm gonna go with mom and I'm gonna also do Waiting for Life. And John. I'm going right. with John. Okay, so um, Waiting for Life moves through um, since <sighs> both were, they were essentially tied in the public vote. Um, they both needed two votes to get over the 50% mark. And uh, you guys make it a cumulative total of 55 to 45 in favor of Waiting for Life. Next up uh, is Mariah's favorite song and 96,000. Uh, we've got If I Were a Rich Man from Fiddler on the Roof up against 96,000 from In the Heights. For our I listeners... <laughs> For our listeners, last week, um, Mariah, oh Mariah essentially staked her existence on uh, her hatred of the fact that if I were a rich man has made it this far in this bracket. Um, and uh, Oh my God. Well, as I say every week, if this song goes into the next week, I'm moving out of this apartment and separating wow. from Alex. Whoa, what? what does this have to do with me? I don't I cannot stand to talk about this anymore. Wow. So I'll let other wow. people talk and then I'll hop on their arguments as I see fit. But you all, the public knows where I stand and I will not move. I, okay, I wanna, I actually wanna talk about Rich Man first and then I'm gonna mount just like a full frontal attack 
about 96,000 and why it is just incredible and maybe the only I want song in the entire history of the American musical theater canon. Um, Mariah, I've been so surprised by your like abject hatred for the song because I don't know, I get like not vibing with it. I get being like, this isn't my, this isn't my scene. Um, but it seems to me so objectively like pure. Um, I think if we are to believe that wouldn't it be loverly is not about wanting chocolate or coal, literally, then we have to apply that, which I'm so glad was brought up, by the way. We gotta apply that to if I were a witch man as well, which is not about like wanting chickens, although I'm sure more chickens would be dope. It's about like moving through the world in a, in a way that he longs for. It is about people seeing and respecting him as a learned man, um, as a man who understands history and religion. And it is about the love he has for his family. I think If I Were a Rich Man is so delightful and such a good character study. Can I respond to that before you do your full-fledged attack? Yeah, well, I think John (laughs) should talk about it before I talk about 96,000. I I feel like we're going to come in equally high. Because I want to respond to something directly that Phoebe said. And and also explain, and explain like, here's where my abject hatred comes from. It's not that it, I like the song. And it's not that I, I don't like the song or I don't think it's a good song or I don't think it does anything for the show. Here's the thing that has been bothering me, right? First week, it should have went through. Who cares about when I get to the top of Mount Rock? I literally didn't listen to it before we did this because it <laughs> literally doesn't matter. Um, but like, then we put it against like Astonishing. We put it against like Belle Reprise, right? And I, I feel like I have been the one really saying when we're talking in the podcast that like money is not a frivolous, superficial ambition. It is actually a fundamental ambition for the lives we live now in the context of the world we live in now because money has to do with security and power and survival and a lot of other things. The reason why I've been getting really frustrated for If I Were a Rich Man is because We've been putting them against a lot of songs that have a lot of qualifications to be I want songs that are like in these lists, right? And I'm not saying that If I Were a Rich Man doesn't have a true ambition. I'm saying that I don't think it does a lot for the central conflict. I think the other songs it's been pit against to have and that putting the character in like a different lens doesn't necessarily like does not and I want song make, which I keep talking about. And the reason I feel like people have really been vying for it is because we're putting a lot of our perceptions of what it does. We are like saying that's what the song is. And I don't think that's what the song is. And I don't think I care about the song as much as other people do um, to give it that credit. And I think that if it were a song that was not a fun white guy protagonist that's singing along and it was somebody else we might have gone after it in those ways the ways that we did for wouldn't it be loverly which is a woman whose journey to getting the chocolate in the warm house is actually something she experiences for ninety six thousand, in which the money is actually a part of the central plot of the show right 
I agree that in those songs, you can apply that. But what I'm saying is, if I were a rich man, he talks about a lot of things that would make life easier. But I literally read the script to Fiddler because I was getting so frustrated about this. There were very few times and pretty much no times at all in which Tevye calls on money to help him solve his problems. And I, and, and the reason I'm saying that, like, I don't feel like it is a quintessential part of the central conflict is because this is a moment in which we see him bargain and imagine a different life in which maybe he could deal with these problems a little easier, but we don't return to that. I think it's, a, it, I agree with the thing that Michael said, like, we need this song to feel a different way towards Tevya, but I don't think that it makes it an I want song. And it bothers me that our own perceptions of how much we like the song keeps putting on qualities that I do not think it has inherently. And that, like, that's the thing that really bugs me is I feel like if it was sung by a different person and a different show in a different way, we would not be doing this and giving it as much credit as we're giving it. Um, y'all lucky. I, I I didn't perfect my Topol impression for today. Oh my I was God. working really hard on it. I got the shimmy down, but the voice, it just didn't come to me. This is funny because a, a comment I made, I think it was to Phoebe, is that I think these are actually the same song in a lot of ways. Um, it's just 96,000 has a lot more people in it. There's two threads through this whole show. Like the world is changing and Tevye's daughters want to change with it. And this guy to quote Rodney Dangerfield, can't get no respect. He like, the, nobody takes this guy seriously. And I think this song is about like, wouldn't it be awesome if I'd be respected? The, 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 the problem I have with, if this was a different song in a different sh show, well, then it'd be a different song in a different show. You know what Can I mean? Can I clarify? I, I want to explicitly say what I mean. I keep, yes, like, yes, I think that'd be helpful. I think diving be helpful. around that is, I think that if Tevya was not a white man, I think that if Tevya sang in a different language, I think that if this show was set in a different place, we would criticize that because we've been criticizing other people in the show, other guests have been criticizing the material wants in 96,000, have been cr criticizing the material wants and wouldn't it be loverly? And I think that has to do with how we're viewing the protagonists and how valid their material wants are, which have to do with our stereotypes of identities, then it really has to do with the show. Absolutely. For what it's worth, I give credit to both songs for that. And I think it works in both songs. Both saw like what both songs do really well is get at how the material goods get at the emotional needs. Like neither of these songs are superficial. They may, they may vocalize superficial wants and needs, but like, the reason I want to pick if I were a rich man was because when I was 10, I would do my impression in my bedroom. It's not that I think like it's any more of an I want song than 96,000. I think they both, in a lot of ways, it's like I said before, I think in a lot of ways, they both actually fill the same uh, thing within the story. I, I get what you're saying about like, this is one character's, uh, if I were a rich man is one character's charm song where 96,000 is very much about like, this is about to kick off the plot of the show. Um, and I think my defense of if I were a rich man is it gets to those themes beyond the plot, which is 96,000 also gets to the themes and also speaks to the plot. This is the, this is the last thing I will say because oh, I just please. keep repeating myself. But the thing you're saying, John, of like 
it is beyond the plot and it is beyond the story. And it is way to think, I think about the story. And the only reason I would vote it over is because it's the song I used to sing in my bedroom is the thing that has been bugging me. Does it, this didn't necessarily totally flip me, but the thing you all have been talking about, like it has to do with his respect. I buy that. I buy it not enough to vote, but I like, that is one of the first times somebody has brought in an argument where I'm like, okay, let's talk about what we are evaluating all the rest of the songs are. But I just want to point out that like that, that little bit of, it's just the, the way that I think of the show is the thing that's really been bothering me that we're not talking about it in the same way as we're evaluating the rest of the song. All I'm right, so bummed. I'm so bummed that these songs are up against each other. Cause to be perfectly honest, I think they both belong in the final four. I agree. Um, and it's also a shame that these two that that these two songs from incredibly historically significant musicals are up against each other. Because Mariah, I totally agree with you about like the set of criteria we are using to decide whether if I were a rich man um, is a good I want song um, has sometimes felt. I, I totally understand how it can feel frustrating. Um, and I also think that at the time, and this is totally removed from the way we are critiquing it now, at the mm-hmm. time, there were no mainstream musicals on Broadway stages about Jewish people, about Jewish history. Yeah. And both of these musicals were a huge step forward in terms of whose stories we are allowed to value on stage, in terms of who is allowed to be seen as a protagonist and whose yearnings are relatable. Mm-hmm. Um, there is like a universality for these Jewish characters and for these Latine characters that would never have been applied to them previously. Okay, obviously, listen, obviously I was speaking hyperbolically. There are many I want songs in the American musical theater canon. I, it's just a joke I've been making this entire time because as you said, Alex, like I'm the person who submitted 96,000 Um and but obviously I, I you're not to, the only person who has voted for it, so. Yeah, for sure, uh, yes. And I also have to, like, disclaimer, I, I was born and raised in Washington Heights. My parents live in the same apartment that they've lived in since the 80s. Um, so I can't pretend that I'm unbiased, but I also think I'm right. <laughs> 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 let, me, nice. let me tell you why. Because 96,000 does the same thing that I was that I was applying to I hope I get it which is it the community is a character the community the community need and want is made ex, is made extremely clear but you still get these incredible character studies and it's such a bummer that Sonny's part about racism in this nation gone from latent to blatant was cut out for the Tony's performance but of fucking course it was mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it is vocally stunning it is lyrically stunning it builds on uh an incredibly important plot point without 96,000 inutil doesn't have any follow-through without 96,000 what do I do with this winning ticket doesn't hit you in the gut it's still really exciting and moving but without the knowledge of the ways in which this community is yearning to grow and change, it's not gonna be as powerful. Champagne is not as powerful without 96,000. Mm-hmm. We're gonna give a third of the money to you, Sonny, is not as powerful without 96,000 because Sonny asserts autonomy in 96,000 for the first, in the first real way in this show. 
and it is followed through in the second act. I also think, and we haven't talked much, we haven't talked about this at all for the most part, except with Chorus Line this episode, but like the choreography of 96,000 is a huge achievement. Um, and I, I know that sometimes we include that in the judgment and sometimes we don't. It's the oh, experience of the song. Yes, yeah, the experience of the song, it, it counts. And much, like I've said for a couple of the other songs that we talked about, you get really specific wants and you get abstracted wants. This is a corner full of foreigners who often feel powerless. And with this tiny amount of money, they could carve out some more space for themselves in the world. And that is such a gift. And I cannot, I cannot possibly explain the experience of being like, a Latina teenager who has moved through white circles of privilege her entire life to that point and then continued to do so and is still doing it. <laughs> Seeing that on stage. And I like, I struggle with Lynn in a lot of ways now, <laughs> but I will eternally be grateful for that and specifically for that song because these were people yearning the way my family yearns. These are people yearning the way my neighbor yearns. All right, we're gonna move on to votes here. Um, and uh, let's see what we got, Mariah. 96,000. Phoebe. Dallas, holla. <laughs> John. All day long, I'd biddy biddy bum. Okay, okay. We're a wealthy man. We should do this oh, now where if you're voting for a song, you, you have, have to, perform it. to all right, so 96,000 uh, won the public vote. Oh, thank God. <laughs> uh, 54% to uh, 46%. Wow. Um, and with you guys, what that means is cumulatively it gets to 57%. Uh, beats If I Were Rich Man, which only gets 43. All right, we've made it to the final four. Our final four songs are... On the left side, out there, from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, up against I Hope I Get It, from a chorus line. And on the right side, we've got Waiting for Life, from Once on This Island, up against 96,000, from In the Heights. It is sure to be a thrilling week of voting, of commentary, of people yelling at me on Instagram. Um, but I'm really, really excited. Um, thank you, Phoebe. Thank you, John. Thank you, my love, Mariah. Uh, we we have a really interesting set of matchups for next week. Thank you for listening, everybody, and uh, we'll see you then. <laughs>